Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. My name is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. We have with us today an out-of-market guest, Jennifer Stolkevich, who is the ED, Executive Director of SF City, a tech advocacy group focused on local and state politics in the Bay Area. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. And thank you for nailing that last name. I do not get a lot of Stoikovich correct pronunciation. Well, as we were sitting for the show, and I want to I plug, uh, you know, uh, you were recently on uh, my colleague Joe O'Brien's show, The Political Life. And so episode, uh, I think it was 141, but I definitely re-listened to that episode a few times to make sure I got it right. <laughs> um, but it's just a quick plug for that show, too. Jim goes into a lot of your the background of how you got to where you are. I think for those who are interested in advocacy, whether a trade group or for and lobbying in general, it's a great uh, episode to watch and, or listen to you rather and get to know who you are a little more. Um, but our show is going to focus more on city city talk, uh, particularly as many are aware the 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 tech exodus, if you will, that's been, that's been talked about in the media the last several months from the Bay Area, San Francisco to cities like my hometown of Austin, Texas, as well as Miami, Nashville, and so on. Um, we're going to talk about it a bit. I know Jennifer's group, SF City, has done and it still has a, has a few talks going on directly with different uh, towns, um, but this one's more about Austin today. So with that, uh, Jennifer, welcome to the show. And can you, for those who aren't aware, give a quick overview of SF City and your work. Absolutely. So SF City was founded in 2012 after the modern tech boom. So as San Francisco was recovering from the 2008 crash, um, really started to look at how we could build the city back up. And with that came this amazing opportunity for the modern day tech industry uh, that we know today. So everyone from Uber to Airbnb to Google to Pinterest, those are all the folks that we work with. And we were brought together as a coalition of tech companies to represent um, their interests when it comes to building sound policy making as well as regulations. Um, but also to find ways to connect this industry to the growing San Francisco community. How can we utilize the resources of tech to better our city, to better our schools, to work with our nonprofits, our community leaders? And so my job as the executive director of SF City is really to be that conduit between the industry and the larger San Francisco uh, leadership. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll get to that. I want to get to more about San Francisco poli- Bay Area politics too. I know it's dynamic and it, it, Everyone it loves it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely uh, just just from what I, what I heard on the political life, it, it gives me, uh, you know, they're, they're the grace of God go I, I, you know, y'all have it out there. Sure. Um, um, oh, yes. We'll talk about, so is this, is the exodus real? So that's, an, that's a bit of a complex question to answer, right? So some of the most recent data shows that there definitely is very clear movement outside of San Francisco. There is a recent report as of the last week that we are going to be putting out and really talking about regarding California's exodus. So as it seems with the most recent information as of today, uh, March, 2021, California is not necessarily seeing the exodus to which the press has put out there, but San Francisco and the Bay Area are seeing a very, very significant shift, which means that there is a real change that is going to happen in San Francisco uh, through this remote work phenomenon, through this new change um, towards having these decentralized companies. 
There's also, of course, different companies that are looking at changing their models of operation, right? Mm -hmm. So traditionally speaking, most tech companies in San Francisco operated very similar to most tech companies um, in the rest of the United States in the sense that they had a headquarters model. So that's why when you go down the peninsula in the Bay Area, you see all the motherships, right? Um, you see your big Apple and Google and Facebook. And, and so traditionally, it, it has been really San Francisco and Bay Area focused companies that happen to have satellite presences around different parts of the country or different parts of the world. That appears to be changing. Some recent information is showing that new tech founders and founders um, that are considering changing their workforce wanna move towards either a decentralized or a hub-based model. So those big tech campuses of, of yesterday appear to be uh, potentially going, going to the wayside for future tech leaders. Yeah, you talk about too just, I mean, the Bay Area, has, or San Francisco particularly, has been known for, like, in terms of rent and just living there. I mean, the living there, right? I mean, we're seeing, I'm seeing some of that happen in New York now where price, the rent price is going down. Just, yeah. I mean, just on the, on the ground there, what have you seen, right? I mean, is it, like, there's the exodus of just businesses moving, but is it just from the Bay Area, San Francisco, a year ago to now, could you see, oh, yeah, the streets, not just because of, not because just of, uh, of uh, social distancing and everything else, it's just, it, you know, like Austin feels energy. When I, look, I drive around here or I'll see the skyline, I feel the energy and opportunity, right? The, the capital, human capital, and the real cap, money capital flowing here, right? What yeah. is, like, what, I mean, just what, what, what's that feeling like right now on the ground there? So San Francisco was the first major city in the U.S. to do a shutdown in response to the COVID pandemic. Um, as a result, San Francisco is, is a model city when it comes to the response for COVID. So we have had um, by far way less deaths than other cities. But what that has also meant is San Francisco has been, for the better part of the last year, pretty much a ghost town. So we have data that shows at least 89,000 people at least USPS data um, have moved out of the city in the last year. We don't know exactly where they have moved, but we do know that they have left San Francisco proper to the extent that they stay outside of the city after the pandemic has concluded and, and offices reopen, quote unquote, that we do not know. Uh, it is, it's, it's a little shocking right now to walk around the city, to see how quiet it is, um, to see many uh, businesses and, and places are boarded up downtown because there has just been such a huge downturn, especially in our downtown corridor where they rely upon these huge office buildings. We've had, I think some of um, the folks I work with have said upwards of 80% of the small businesses and restaurants in some sections of the city have gone under as a result. So it's real. It is very real that the city does not look um, anything like it did a year ago today. In terms of the apartments, that is wild. Now, AJ, this is not the first time we've had a tech bust, right? We had an exodus when the dot-com bust happened um, back in the early 2000s. So, so we did lose you know, upwards of 30,000 tech workers seemingly in one summer. So in three months, we had a big exodus. But I just told you this is closer to 90,000, potentially more. So it's definitely a, a much bigger impact. In terms of numbers, we were looking at about thirty-six hundred bucks for a median small, uh, medium one bed bedroom in March 2020. In March 2021, depending on who you look at, it's as low as nineteen hundred 
average <laughs> apartment price. Uh, you know, to, so there's a little bit of uh, contention around how we measure that. So, so they're saying 1900 average, uh, one, of the, one of the resources, another one saying closer to 2500. Either way, it is a market drop. And mm. it, is a, it, is, it is a steeper drop than we saw in the last dot-com bust, which is very important to note. There's a boom and bust to the city of San Francisco. Anybody that knows San Francisco knows that it's dating back to the gold rush. It's, it's a city where you come and things are booming and things are busting and then they boom again and then they bust again. What is concerning about this bust though in particular is that it seems to be much deeper than downturns we've had in the past. I got you. So relating to what that means for cities like Austin, right? So we, we, we've seen even uh, the last several months, you have a big kind of big announcements of like a Tesla moving here, Oracle moving here. Apple's, oh, Apple's, Apple's campus expansion was already ongoing prior to COVID really, the, the, the heat of the pandemic. And I didn't know until like a year ago that this was the biggest presence of Apple outside of Cupertino. But like what just... You know, you have all these companies that aren't consumer, consumer facing that people like us may know because we read the business journals or of our respective cities, national papers, but a lot of companies that aren't, aren't known that I'm seeing kind of moving here. And also this, the, you know, a lot of venture capitalists, venture capital firms or, and our staffs have moved here because you can work anywhere, right? So either the offices have, have officially moved here, the team's moved here, or they're, I've just known people who are, you know, either from here or from, sorry, West Coast or New York. Whereas operating here because they could be anywhere doing their job and it's yeah. cheaper, right? Like, but and you, you told me you, you'd spent the time in Austin, just I mean, based on that, just what was your, you know, your comparison of the city reception of Austin? What is it like from the view of Austin from the Bay area, uh, maybe pre-COVID and including now? Yeah, I, I think that Austin certainly seems to be in terms of, you know, getting back to, being a fully activated city, Austin's a lot farther down the line than, than San Francisco, right? San Francisco's big reopening plan a week ago was 10% capacity in the gyms. So gym rats like myself have literally been out of the gym this entire time, you know, contrasting with a place like Austin where things have relatively stayed open. Perhaps they were at a little bit of a reduced capacity, mm -hmm. um, but certainly it has stayed a lot more active than places like San Francisco. I think that there's interesting opportunities for Austin. Uh, so certainly when you have a few different CEOs move into town, that really helps with the culture building. You know, people like Elon Musk, and now we've got Dave Chappelle's around there. You know, he was, it's, it's so interesting to see these, um, these secret meetups that are actually happening with some of these cultural leaders because those used to happen in San Francisco a year ago. So that's, that's very interesting to me because what you need is you, you need that backbone of leaders to make a tech hub really launch, right? It's not enough for a few companies to move in. Um, it's not enough for a few VCs to move in. You need to really bring that entire culture together and bring folks that have not, not just the capital and the resources, but you know, folks that have the talent, folks that have the ideas. And so it's really complex. And up until now, San Francisco has really been the place that did that correctly. Mm -hmm. I think that San Francisco is going to continue to be a place that has that energy, but it's going to replicate in other cities now too. Um, so I do think it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how many of the folks that are in Austin right now stay in Austin uh, because 
you know, there is there is the there is opportunity for San Francisco to turn back on, and suddenly everybody that has historically been there will just say, "Oh, well, San Francisco's back on. We don't need to be in Miami anymore. We don't need to be in Austin anymore." And that's one of the things that is interesting about the USPS data because we don't know how many people temporarily move versus how many plan to stay out of there. Yeah, and I guess that will play out uh, over the next this next few quarters, and then twenty twenty two. Um, yeah. As you know, hopefully, as well, definitely, hopefully, as vaccine distribution gets to a ready clip, when uh, these people like myself or yourself and are getting them, we have them waiting long lines. Um, I want to turn to for the, you know, I'm always curious about just the the you know shop talk and of how lobbying is done in different cities. And I've heard stories about San Francisco, and I read paper and everything else. And a lot, honestly, a lot of times, um, you know, I have clients that they view what happens in San Francisco and maybe Seattle as bellwethers were come, gonna come out, come east, and particularly with Austin, usually what happens in Austin ends up going to Dallas or Houston, San Antonio, but what happened, we looked at those cities to see what's gonna happen here. And so yeah. uh, just, uh, you know, for those for those who, who would think, okay, this is a tech town and yeah, like, you know, they'll, they want all kinds of technology there. Like, is it, how, what's, the, what's the reception there for tech? So San Francisco, historically speaking, you know, the way that it, the way that we, think of it as so goes San Francisco, so goes California, so goes California, so goes the United States, right? We have so, we have a great depth of history that shows that legislative policies that are created first in San Francisco end up making their way and replicating across the entire country. Same-sex marriage is a great example, one among many, right? So that is true. And I think up until recently, a lot of folks didn't take city policy seriously. And I bet you, you've probably had this experience too. I think a lot of folks up until recently really thought that lobbying and advocacy efforts, especially for the tech industry, should be done in DC, you know, every looking, working with federal um, folks, or maybe should be done at a state level. But I think we've really seen in these last few years that there is a lot of policies and a lot of legislation that can, you know, either be your best asset or your worst enemy for companies that are trying to grow and they can be done by city leaders. And now there's a lot more inward attention being paid to these types of cities. Have you experienced that too? Yeah, I think I think the the caveat with Texas is compared to the to California is our government meets every, the state government here meets every odd year, right? So yes. 140 days, um, they're, in, they're in session right now. So the, I think cities have a lot more strength that way because I mean, just more, there's more, you know, they're, they're meeting year round, right? So the government, you know, usually the capital can only undo city stuff every so often. So depending on when something happens, like they can get in, but otherwise you go wait a year and a half if, yeah. if, if X law passes, right? Uber and Lyft probably, that whole battle was an example, right? You know, they had to wait. Yeah. They tried one session, didn't make it through. Cities, different cities in Texas did what they were going to do. Like Austin did what it was going to do. And we had to go through the next session for them to get a statewide law to make ride sharing like legal or one, you know, or a common regulatory framework. So I mean, I've, I've heard that, right? It's it's definitely. I mean, I think people overall cities are important, and it's uh, it, I mean, many certain cities I think get more view, right? But even like smaller towns, I mean, they can, you know, every every city matters. So I've, yeah. I've, I've heard that from some colleagues for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this has never been seen more acutely than this, the gig economy, right? The gig economy has just interfaced with regulations, both local and beyond in a way that the, the first era of tech did not, 
right? The, the first era of tech really was largely regulated by federal entities. And so this, this last batch of folks, Uber, you just mentioned, you know, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, TaskRabbit, Instacart, all those folks that I work with, they, it really does matter, each city and, and those relationships that they have. And so San Francisco is really seen as, as the breeding ground for the types of legislation that is going to pop up elsewhere. Uh, we certainly work with SF City, with all the other trade groups in the other cities uh, all together. And we try to move um, as one entity to keep everyone else in the know about what's going on, because it kind of ends up like whack-a-mole in a way. Yeah, you know, you get if you can kill it in San Francisco, then maybe it doesn't replicate. But if if not, it's it's coming. Yeah, the last time I was actually out in the area was I represented Marble uh, Robotics at the time. They, I think they were sold. They're sold now, uh, acquired, but they were uh, autonomous delivery. And I at the time, so I think I did. I just launched. This is 2017. The firm had just launched. So they, uh, one of your uh, board board of supervisors, uh, which is the council all here had uh, passed a law prohibiting autonomous robots delivery on sidewalks, essentially, right? And our city had just passed a pilot to look at studying robot delivery. And so anyway, I went out there just to check, check out the, well, any excuse to get to the area was nice, but um, that was one, remember they're, they're telling me about that law. Um, I think it affected y'all, DoorDash was getting in on that too at the time. Postmates, yeah, everybody. Uh, funny you mentioned that, <laughs> that was, that was the legislation that we led on. So I worked very intimately uh, on that on that entire regulatory fight. You know, the sidewalk robots, the scooter gate, the mm -hmm. Uber and Lyft, the chaining in front of, you know, tech shuttle buses, we've seen it all. And they pretty much all started in San Francisco. But that's a great example of how San Francisco's leadership has, it has a lot of power in, in a lot of different hands, right? So yes, we have a strong mayor government, but we have 11 supervisors that have a tremendous amount of power as well. So for folks that aren't familiar with how the city of San Francisco functions, so first off, we're an amalgamated city and county. So those supervis supervisors and that mayor, they're in charge of a lot. You know, we're, we're talking about our airport, our port. It's a $14 billion budget that's within the hands of those 12 people, our mayor and our 11 board of supervisors. There's also uh, what we currently are facing right now where we have a super majority on one kind of political side of things on the board of supervisors where they actually have enough power to be able to override the mayoral veto. Which is it's very what, rare. Uh, how they slanted. So they are slanting towards the progressive side of things. So to give a little bit of context to folks, again, that aren't familiar with San Francisco, it is a blue, 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 blue city. It is a wildly blue city. And when you have such a homogenous population, what happens? Well, shades of blue happen, mm -hmm. right? So while everybody's a Democrat, there's a big splintering in terms of the type of Democrat and the type of leadership. And so our political structure is basically divided along moderates and progressives. So Right now, we have a supermajority of progressives in the Board of Supervisors. Our mayor is a moderate. We have about one or two on a good day supervisors that, uh, that identify as a moderate. But otherwise, it's quite a progressive group of folks. To give you a further example, we elected our first Democratic Socialist uh, a couple of years ago. First one since 1974 on our Board of Supervisors. Same in Seattle. They also have a registered socialist as well. So mm -hmm. when I say left, it is, it's quite left. Yeah, I know. It's interesting you mentioned the strong mayor. City of Austin right now, uh, we just, uh, we're going to have a ballot, a ballot or, or a referendum vote on several initiatives, but two of them, this is going to be May 1st, Saturday, May 1st, 
is are going to be around a strong mayor system, moving to a strong mayor system, and also adding another council district. Right now, it's we have uh, you know, eleven members of council, including the mayor. It's a council manager system of government. So I have been looking at other cities like yours, uh, just for how that model is done and how it works. Y'all, y'all on the boards on the board supervisors. Is there a president? Is there like a speaker of the board? Yes, we well, do have a board president. Do they? What powers do they have? Like inherent or explicit powers or power of the position? So a few things. So obviously they're the ones that determine the agenda and what's heard, which is huge. Uh, the other thing is they set the committees each year and the subcommittees as well. And so they determine where a piece of legislation is heard. And depending on who is comprised of that three person committee, it can be quite a big difference. Um, if something is going to public safety or it's going to land use and quite often a lot of the legislation that we get falls in many different categories. And so there's an entire house of cards level political strategy of where you get your legislation heard to make it out of committee to get to a full board vote. And it's a pretty it powerful position. If it doesn't have committee, is it so it's, it's like, a, like a, a state or a federal level of government where it has to be, it can die in committee? It can, yes. Yeah. Uh, sure. And sometimes you can kill it in committee as well. It's interesting. So we, we our, our, our council had set up count, or committees of council, council committees. I, with that process in mind, because meetings were just taking, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to facilitate a better flow of legislation. Um, but right now, I mean, so those committees exist. We have uh, citizens boards and commissions as well, but th that was the, that was the hope of what you have, but that's not, that hasn't happened yet. So you can you can do the you can do committees and council and still just take or just take it right to council too on the diet so you want to here so it's yeah. still, it's developing I think as we mature as a city it's developing into that structure which I, I think is you know it's 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 more it's what I'm used to from the cap from doing capital work here um, we we'll, we shall see what the year what the next uh, next we'll shoot what the next six months brings honestly because if strong mayor goes through that itself shifts a lot of things the, you know mm -hmm. pipe, you know the, the power dynamics. We have a city manager now, the CEO of the city, his senior staff. We don't know what that, we, no one knows what that's going to mean. So inter yeah. Yeah, interesting times for the lobby though. I know that. It <laughs> is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, there's so much more to it too. In San Francisco, it's the closest thing we have to direct democracy of anywhere in the United States. So the citizens can also put a piece of legislation to the vote through a signature process. Signature gathering is quite a business in the city of San Francisco, might I say. And on top of that, you can also with the, not the majority, but actually a minority uh, group of the board of supervisors can also put something on the ballot themselves. So we are also the only place in all of California that does not require the majority of electeds to put something to the ballot. There's a lot of nuances to San Francisco and how it works. They often say, that it is harder to win a board seat in the city of San Francisco than to win a congressional seat in half of the United States. Yeah, and there are several, uh, I mean, folks who will, like on the current and the current uh, federal system who have gone through, who start, had their roots in the Bay Area, our VP. Yes, our president our VP. House as well. And, you know, your yep. current governor, California as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I work closely with, um, the person, the the woman who's responsible for getting a Kamala elected to her very first seat in San Francisco. So it is, um, it is an extremely political city. If you want to test out your chops for running an election, San Francisco is the place that you have to be. It's usually a, it's a launch pad for so many people's careers. And you know what what that means is that there's a lot of power in one city. And it is interesting though to sit 
to add to that, that the entire state of California is not necessarily politically aligned with the city of San Francisco. So if you look at the last election, the state of California is much more moderate as a whole, um, quite a bit more moderate. Our biggest fight that we dealt with uh, on the last uh, ballot was the Uber and Lyft battle over whether they would be um, defined as gig workers or employees. And so the state of California voted to have them um, still be able to have gig work uh, qualifications, but the city of San Francisco voted 20 points apart from the state of California and they unequivocally wanted them uh, to be employees. So that's, a, I mean, 20 points is a really big political difference between one city and the rest of the state. Yeah, yeah, I know Austin, I mean, relative to the state, Austin is relatively democratic, but I, well, it's actually heavily democratic. Just what I always tell people is there's a difference between like an Austin Democrat and the whole, there's, 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 gr there's gradations of blue, but on yeah. the whole, just from like what I've known of the area, I'm like it's a whole different. Like a moderate, like a moderate, oh. moderate San Francisco person, maybe way to the left. Oh, it's it's a hundred percent. That's the funny part of this entire thing, right? So moderates and progressives, they agree on ninety nine percent of things, but that last one percent, they will fight to the death over it in the city, and it's it's the truth, right? Uh, so it's great that everybody is aligned in in the direction they want to go at the city, but oftentimes that rub that we have with city politics is the speed at which you go that direction. We're all in the same direction, but some people want to go a lot faster than others. And that is a hill that they are willing to die on. And it, it makes for very interesting city politics, but, you know, to some pretty dysfunctional city politics. Mm -hmm. Well, Jennifer, I want to get to some of the events that SF City has going on um, uh, the next few weeks. Um, I, again, I, I came across your your association and you from when you did an interview with uh, a some some leadership out of uh, Nashville, um, but yes, interesting interesting content that's going to be out, and we're going to post those in the show notes. Um, but uh, just anything on the horizon, and you know, going to April, May, more more yeah. of the series. Yeah, absolutely. So we have the ongoing series that you just mentioned that we just did uh, recently with Nashville. So we're doing the mapping the tech exodus series. We're bringing on different leaders um, like myself, like yourself from different cities all around the country to talk about the different changes that you're seeing in, in our respective cities. So we just did Nashville, we did Seattle, we're gonna be doing New York this week. So after this airs, folks can go check out sfcity.org and watch all of those three. And then we will have Miami, Los Angeles and some other really interesting cities coming up. So that's an ongoing lunchtime series that we do. In addition to that, we're gonna be doing a really big event next Tuesday, which will be uh, a recording by the time folks are, are hearing this, but we will be bringing on the mayor himself from Austin uh, Adler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will also be bringing on uh, Mayor Suarez from Miami, the CEO of Zumper, some really big leading uh, VCs, LinkedIn, all kinds of folks to be talking about what does the future of tech look like? What does this migration look like? What is it going to mean for, for San Francisco, for Austin, for Miami? How are we reshaping this industry uh, overall in this country? So that'll be a huge conversation that we'll be hosting on the 16th. It will, of course, be recorded. Every single thing we do is recorded because so many people get really great value out of the rewatch. We also have on sfcity.org a tech uh, dashboard where you can read all the latest information about remote work, closures, uh, everything tech exodus related. We have a one-stop shop for you there on sfcity.org. All right, Jennifer, thank you for your time. And we'll have those recordings and links to the site in our show notes. Jennifer is the executive director of SF City. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. 
So we're bringing you back real quick to bring up a subject about this remote tax. What is this? So the remote tax right now is a theory that is being traded around. And, and so there is a lot of precarious things that, that we're dealing with right now from a taxation standpoint as both cities, states, and as a country trying to determine the nexus for where people are technically employed. Uh, so there definitely has been some talk about is there a way to change that tax system is there potential for some sort of way for cities to gather taxation around remote workers? Nothing of course has been introduced, but I would say for folks that are um, on the lobbying side of things that are listening today, this is something to keep, uh, keep your ears open for. How much, I mean, so say that passed in San Francisco, would, I mean, would the state be involved in that at all, state of California? So one interesting thing about the state of California is that the constitution forbids municipalities having the ability to levy a personal income tax. Unlike New York state where New York actually can, New York city can actually charge an income tax. The state of California currently forbids it. So there would need to be a state legislative action taken to vote and change the constitution. With that being said, there's a lot of really interesting ways that you can create a tax that aren't directly an income tax, mm -hmm. uh, but potentially uh, start to kind of show up as one. So one of the Please. ones that we dealt with, yeah, so what we dealt with was an IPO tax that was introduced in San Francisco, um, which my organization worked very hard on for a few years uh, because it was introduced more than once because so many people saw that Uber and Lyft and all these IPOs that were happening at a state level were capturing a lot of income tax for the state of California. So there was talk about whether we could do that in the city of San Francisco. And so as it was introduced, it was introduced as a stock option tax that would be levied upon the business because that was the only vestibule in which they could introduce a tax that attaches to stock options. Great. Well, thank you again for that update and for your time today. And we'll be watching for developments out of the Bay Area.